It's a brand new day, and we're putting the AM in American politics. We've seen the darkness of division and despair and are now jumping into the light of a bright path forward. Progress is here, and we're sharing its story with you, for you, all with the help of Signal Boost. Now, here are your hosts, Zerlina Maxwell and Jess McIntosh. Welcome to Signal Boost. I'm Zerlina Maxwell, and I'm joined by special guest host, Joe Subay, who's in for Jess, who's out on vacation, much-deserved vacation. Joining us today, Florida State Representative for House District 47, Anna Escamani. She is... I'm going to talk to us about all things Florida, and you guys know Florida's been in the headlines. Thank you so much for joining. Good morning. It's great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. So Florida is, yeah, it's having a moment um, in this particular (laughs) point in American history. It feels to me like Florida and Texas are sort of like in this battle royale to like one up each other and how conservative the state legislature can be. Uh, in those particular states? I mean, how do you see it as somebody who actually works there? (laughs) Well, I I would agree with that assessment. I I think the reality is that Governor Abbott and Governor DeSantis both are contending to run for president in 2024. So we're stuck in this race to the bottom where they're both trying to out-conservative each other. (laughs) And candidly, in the case of Florida, there's no checks and balances within the Republican Party because Governor DeSantis is seen as the most popular figure within his party, that if you challenge him, if you question him, then you will be punished. And 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 one quick example, with the redistricting maps, a few Republicans essentially voted with the governor against the maps versus with House leadership and Senate leadership. And you know each one of them are getting an award for it, one by one. Uh, one of them, his wife just got appointed to the Department of Education. She's a QAnon conspiracy theorist, not qualified to serve in that capacity. And then another one just got endorsed in his Republican primary. So it's really gross and, and really sketch. And we're navigating uh, the policy fights alongside some of these personalities, too. That sounds like corruption, though. How come he doesn't get oh, yeah. the same sort of coverage as like a Chris Christie? Because that sounds like um, we're, it's time for some traffic problems type of. Yeah, 100%. 100%. I, I agree with you. You know, I, I think that there's definitely a lot of efforts to kind of draw those dots, you know, and hold them accountable. But much like President Trump, he just calls any media fake media. I mean, he will attack reporters, he'll interrupt reporters. Um, and so he, he kind of, you know, takes a, a page out of Trump's playbook when it comes to criticism as you've probably seen with the Don't Say Gay bill, it's all about deflect and project, right? That's kind of like his MO. Hi, uh, Representative Eskamani, Joe Sudbay here. I'm so excited that you were joining, you are joining us today. And, uh, you know, uh, I follow you on Twitter, and I, <laughs> I swear, you, it's like, it's great to it's great to talk to you again. It, it, so I, reading your Twitter uh, feed through the legislative session, which just ended this past weekend, was just it was a horror show, I have to say. Um, and you and your colleagues, uh, so many of your terrific colleagues, Carlos Smith and so many others, really were just working so hard to try and stop this assault. And it, it really I, I was saying to Jolina before the break, it feels like. If you aren't a very rich white 
conservative Christian male in Florida, you were attacked by the Republican legislature mm. and Governor DeSantis this past right, right, right. cycle. So we, we, we've talked a lot about the don't say gay bill, but what were some of the other um, just most appalling and abhorrent policies that the legislature passed? Yeah, I mean, it's such a great point. So there were there were many, you know, we have a 15 week abortion ban, which is the most extreme abortion ban in Florida history that not only is a direct assault on Roe v. Wade, but direct assault towards our own right to privacy protection within Florida state constitution. You also had an attack on immigrants, specifically immigrant children. You had uh, HB7, which is the anti-CRT bill. And at a last minute amendment, they took what was a, an attack on uh, K through 12 and the businesses in the state to also expand to higher ed. And I cannot even stress just how obtuse this higher ed uh, last minute amendment was, where basically if you a student or you random person thinks that uh, some college professor is making you feel uncomfortable, you can either go to a court of law or the Board of Governors, which is appointed by the governor, or a standing legislative committee to file your complaint. And so, of course, you know, if you're some hyper-partisan hack, you're not going to go to a court of law. You're going to go to a standing committee legislature and complain about your university. I mean, it's just it's just wild, the type of uh, uh, policy decisions that are being made that are not good government. It's purely politically motivated. And then we had a voter suppression bill as well, creating an election police force for the governor. So don't say gay is is one of the worst. Uh, and, you know, so much of our attention um, has had to fight back against that egregious policy. But candidly, there's been every community you can think of that is marginalized, uh, has been attacked by this legislative body. You know, you know, one of the things I, I think about Florida and uh, I, I mentioned this last time when I was talking to Pam Keith. In 1998, I worked on a, a referendum in Florida when I worked in the gun violence prevention movement, and we passed gun show background checks with 72% of the vote. In 2018, oh, almost 65% of Floridians voted for Amendment 4 to restore the rights of felons. In 2020, over 60%, that was a presidential year when Donald Trump won, over 60% of Floridians voted for a $15 minimum wage. The people of Florida certainly are more progressive than the politicians in Florida. And I know this is something you've been working on um, and talked about a lot, Anna. How do we bridge that gap? How do you, how do you what, what can you do in Florida to yeah. fix that? <laughs> no, it's such an excellent point. I mean, you're right. I think that Floridians overwhelmingly uh, care about safety they care about economic equity. Uh, they care about the environment. I think part of our struggle as Democrats is many of my colleagues don't champion those everyday issues. This is colleagues on the left, like people in my party, because they accept corporate donations, because they are um, hesitant to challenge polluters or challenge the gun lobby or challenge corporate um, greed in the process that we don't have a platform to really stand on. You know, I will I will be defensive and I will fight like hell on these issues, 
But I'm always going to bring back to the point that these are all distractions from the uh, corporate giveaways that this legislative body continues to participate in. One of the most um, egregious examples this session is an anti-rooftop solar bill. And this is being pushed by Florida Power and Light, which their parent company is Next Era, one of the most powerful utility companies in the country. And some Democrats voted yes on this bill. This bill is going to decimate the rooftop solar industry. But because FPL cuts checks, they they go along with it. So there are these moments for me where it, it is frustrating because I feel like we're, we can't give a contrast to the public when we are just playing defense. Like you really have to offer folks an, an alternative perspective of the world and, and, and another another way to to build Florida with prosperity in, in, at the center of it. But unfortunately, a lot of my Democratic colleagues, because they they just want to participate in culture wars, it's almost like a easy way to be a Democrat. Like you can't just talk about the culture wars. Like you got to talk about the, the economic equity because the fears that people, the fears that were, that Republicans are tapping into that create these culture wars are also tied to economic anxiety. Right. They're also tied to right a perception that um, uh, government officials don't care about you. So you gotta have to you gotta do both. You gotta do both. I mean, it's such a good point because um, if you understand intersectionality, it makes so much sense, right? So when you're right. talking about race, you are talking about the economy. <laughs> what's what's 100%. what's ironic about all of the backlash against critical race theory is that it's actually helpful. <laughs> it's helpful in in helping us understand how the systems are working um, against certain communities and how the systems marginalize certain communities. And one of the consequences is how they how they um, exist and show up in our economy. I mean, it is connected and intrinsically tied. Um, we just celebrated, well, celebrate is not the right word to say, but we just had Equal Pay Day yesterday. Um, equal Pay Day. Um, that's something that everybody can understand as um, tied to the economy, but that's something that is about race and gender as well, right? So the, the, it's not, and the, technically I suppose that is in the universe of culture war, right? When we're talking about, um, race and gender issues, but it's economic. <laughs> so, like, why can't more Democrats just start talking like that? Do we have to teach them critical race theory? I mean, <laughs> maybe we don't call it that. <laughs> but they would benefit. They really would. Did we lose Is Anna for here? a second? Because I can't hear her respond. I can't hear her either. Maybe we, we lost her for just a second, right, so hopefully we can try to fix that. But essentially my question, Joe, was that Economic issues sometimes get siloed as if they are completely like, you know, if we're talking about the economy, then you're a serious, usually white guy with glasses. Right. You know, right. and you're you're a sober analyst and race and gender don't impact your analysis. You know, I think that Democrats of all backgrounds um, would benefit from being able to understand and talk about these issues like, it, you know, people that are good to mimic. Ayanna Presley, AOC, Elizabeth Warren, they're really good right. talking about the economy with a race, race and gendered lens um, so that you can understand how those things intersect. Um, I do believe right. we have the rep back. I don't know if she's here. No worries. We have tech issues because we need infrastructure in the United States. <laughs> 
Um, so uh, <laughs> we, don't, we, don't, we don't internalize our tech issues here on Signal Boost in the pandemic. We understand that it is not your fault if your internet flickers for a second. Um, so basically my question though, Representative Eskamani was uh, about how these issues are intersectional. And if more Democrats understood that and talked about talked about them in that way, um, they would be better for it. We just set, had equal pay day yesterday. And that Absolutely. is an issue that is both economic, but also very much a race and gendered issue. A hundred percent. No, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And, I, and then I think the the other part of this effort is to translate these issues to everyday action, right? I take a lot of pride, as Joe mentioned, with our social media platforms in using our social media platforms, not as a means to create stress or chaos, but really as a tool to solve problems and to build power. And so we look at our, our, our social media outlets as the, a way for everyday folks to get connected to state government. And we, we want to take you from a place of being, you know, an engaged online follower to actually being a supporter, to being a volunteer, to coming to Tallahassee. And, I, and though this past legislative session was incredibly difficult and you know, we're still navigating the governor signing all these dangerous bills and we're in the middle of veto campaigns right now. Uh, the, the one part that I found a lot of hope in was just the incredible uh, growth, especially of young people of Generation Z getting involved for the first time, coming to Tallahassee. And when you ask folks, is this your first time in the state capitol? You know, all, all the hands go up, right? They've never done it before. But I know it won't be the last time. And, and so that does give me a lot of hope. And I, I think that a part of it is, as elected officials, we have to play a role in connecting the dots and helping uh, the everyday person understand their political efficacy in this process. And we do that not only by playing defense, but also providing that new vision for the future where joy is shared, where every person has the right to be loved and love, and you know, really painting that picture of the, of the possibility of a life like that here in Florida. It's so important. And I have to say, one of the most inspiring uh, things from this past session was, and I get goosebumps even thinking about it now, but um, the kids walking out of schools to protest the Don't Say Gay Bill, the kids Absolutely. showing up in um, Tallahassee, and you and your colleagues were so good at sharing that content. Equality Florida, I mean, uh, totally. Nadine Smith and Brandon Wolf uh, are my heroes mm -hmm. um, for, for what they did there. But it really was, it was young people. And if we can engage them in the process, let's not forget, Ron DeSantis didn't win by a lot of votes in 2018. Mm -hmm. And Rick Scott won by even fewer votes in 20. Right. You know, and, and one thing I think about um, the Republicans in your state is they have to cheat to win. I mean, you mentioned Florida Power and Light and, you know, them controlling the legislature. There's some they did some really shady shit in oh, helping absolutely. fund. Absolutely. The, the ghost candidates. I mean, talk about that for a minute, because I think it's important for people to understand. Like, <laughs> I the, love they you. act so omnipotent, but they really like cheat to win. Oh, 100%. Time and time again, uh, they cheat to win. The case of Florida Power and Light, um, reporting by the Orlando Sentinel and Jacksonville Times Union and Miami Herald, have whole have all opened up the uh, the the door to this scheme that Florida Power and Light pursued 
where they planted three fake candidates in competitive state Senate races. And when I say fake candidates, these folks were real by name. They were actual real people, but they never campaigned. One of them moved to a different country. One of them had the same last name as the Democratic incumbent. And it was all about siphoning votes away because though these candidates were fake, they were marketed to look real. So you as a voter in that district, you got mail about this candidate. You might have seen a digital ad about this candidate. And so one, one of these races, the Democrat incumbent, who was one of the most vocal advocates challenging the sugar industry, challenging FPL, he lost his election by like 34 votes. And that fake candidate got 5,000 votes. And all three of these races, the Democrats lost. And of course, all three of those Republican winners voted with FPL on that anti-rooftop solar bill that I mentioned. So super gross, super sketch. And again, another example of just political corruption that way too, too many of my colleagues participate in and consent to as being normal. Just And just one note on that. One of the members who voted on who won, the one who won by 34 votes, Ileana Garcia, she's the one that stood on the Senate floor last week and said that yep. LGBTQ is not a permanent thing. So yep. that's that's the caliber they elected. Yeah, yeah, it's it's shocking, really. She's the founder of like Latinas for Trump or something, too. I mean, it's yeah. it's just so embarrassing. One of the I mean, there's a few things that um, I could probably list off when I think about Florida. Um, and I, unfortunately for you, that are embarrassing um, as somebody who is in Florida. Um, but like your Surgeon General doesn't think the oh kids should be vaccinated. <laughs> like, you know, you have your governor who yelled at um, high school students. A lot of people think those kids were college students. They were not. One of the kids was 14 years old and an immune compromised right. grandfather and kept right. his mask on, even though they told him more than once to take it off. And he said no. Um, but. There, like, there's that joke um, that you know when you sort of Google local headlines from Florida, it's like Florida man, and then it's like did something insane. Unfortunately, right. now it's like Florida man, but it's like some serious elected official um, <laughs> doing something really insane. I mean, what is it? Why in Florida do these people get traction in the first place? Do you think? Like what? How yeah. does a Ron DeSantis rise to the governor's mansion with political cachet and and the ability to sort of take revenge on political enemies, perceived reward people that you know do things he likes? I mean, how did how does he gain and consolidate power when, like I said, you know, you have him yelling at the kids and he hired a surgeon general who yeah. doesn't believe in science? I mean, the, he went to Harvard Medical School. So much of it is disinformation. And it's it's this notion, if you say it enough times, it'll sound like fact, right? And and the reality is that, you know, Floridians, Floridians vary in their political efficacy and in their um in their educational attainment and their ability to kind of challenge this this BS, if you will. Because I end up getting into some, you know thought I like to say thoughtful Twitter conversations and you know people who troll my social media accounts and it's just shocking to me how like they're posting a meme you know as if that is going to like win a debate right 
And candidly, some of these accounts I don't think are real. <laughs> like you look at their, you know, number of friends, they have no Facebook friends. They don't have a real profile picture. So there's like a lot of questionable uh, social media uh, engagement that is is artificial. And unfortunately not every Floridian knows to look out for that. So they kind of fall um, uh, for that trap, right? Of thinking this is a, this is a popular opinion, really it's not, it's just fabricated. Um, but again, I, I think our biggest challenge is we don't really have the moderate Republican anymore, or if they do exist, they're scared to exist because they don't want to be primaried. So we have this situation where it's clear that DeSantis is going too far. But if you don't, if you don't go along, then you will be primaried. If you don't go along, your bill is going to get vetoed. So it, it's like this you know, never ending cycle of other Republicans consenting to his agenda because among Republican primary voters, he's popular and he doesn't really care about what, what Floridians think. He's thinking about the Iowa caucus, right? He's thinking about Republican primary voters in other parts of the country and how they perceive him. And when you're dealing with someone that is focused on self-preservation above all else, and you're not willing to challenge him, and the rest of us go down that same pipeline, right? So, so I think that's part of the challenge is that members of his own party are not willing to challenge him, even if they disagree with him, because they're so scared of the consequences of doing so. We only have a couple minutes left, but I, I would like to just um, we did it. We did a Netroots Nation panel um, that Net actually Roots. was inspired. I haven't been in Netroots in a long time. Well, pre-pandemic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> It was in October, and it was inspired actually by an interview uh, Anna did with Jordan Sakarin from mm -hmm. Progressives Everywhere right after the election. Um, you know, millions and millions and millions, billions are spent in Florida on the Democratic ticket every four years, and there's so little infrastructure left behind. Right. And that's what you're dealing with with the Democratic Party. I know you're working on that. Talk a little bit about that, what the, the kind of work you're doing right now to try and improve uh, infrastructure on the progressive side. Yeah, so we actually launched a voter registration organization last year called People Power for Florida. And really proud to say, actually, tonight we're doing a virtual voter registration training, over 100 RSCPs. And we've been hosting these trainings uh, pretty much uh, every month, if not every other month. But then in between, we're out in our communities across the state. We have um, paid staff uh, in North Florida, Tampa Bay, all the way to the Space Coast, through Orlando, and in South Florida. So, you know, there's a lot of folks who have asked me to run for different types of offices, which is always very flattering and kind. But I also know for me, I am trying to build infrastructure, and you can't fake infrastructure. Like, you have to do the work. And for far too long in Democratic circles, we've operated on this two-year cycle where uh, November comes around, if you don't do well, everything gets dismantled and you have to try to build it back up again. My vision is to keep building. And even if we don't necessarily have those wins, I mean, our goal is to have wins, but we should be able to demonstrate gains and build upon those gains over time. So um, uh, that's my contribution, if you will, to the effort. We work in tangent with other groups who've been also on the ground for a very long time. Um, but my hope is that we're modeling for other lawmakers, you know, what is it, what other role can you play in helping with infrastructure versus just complaining about it? What can you actually do to help? So great. It's a really important Thank point. You.
I mean, I, I, the infrastructure piece is so, so critical. I mean, as a former field organizer, um, I, I, I'm like, why is it that every single election cycle they have to, like, recreate field offices and they have to recreate organize? I'm like, if you actually kept engaging with the same people in the communities, you just go back to the same precinct captains you had the last time. If you stay in right. contact, it's not like, you know, infrastructure is not just the building that you're, you know, meeting into Canvas from or whatever. The, the infrastructure is the people that make up the organization. <laughs> um, it's the 100%. organizers. It's, it's the, you know, regional field directors and, and the precinct captains. And so I think that's something to keep in mind. It's, it's something that, like, as, as media, we don't talk about it because I've never actually met another person in the media who has a background in field organizing. I met, I've actually met zero other people um right. maybe they've worked on a campaign maybe they've covered a campaign like they've been on the plane or something like that they've covered um a candidate during a primary but i rarely ever meet people with a background in organizing and certainly not activism so um you know a lot of times they don't un understand that infrastructure means the people the precinct captain the little, the little grandma that used to come and sit at the reception area in the field office that, you know, she's going to put stamps in the next election cycle and she's going to send out mailers in the next election cycle. And, um, you know, you have to make sure you're staying in touch with all of those people. Um, I think we're out of time. I would love to have you back because. Oh, my have, gosh, for the, sure. Yeah. Anytime you're available, let us know. Anytime there's news you want us to talk about, let us know. We'll stay in touch because Florida, obviously, as I, as we said at the top of the segment, you know, you're in the news a lot <laughs> these days. There's a lot of Florida news all the time. Um, Representative Anna Escamani, thank you so much for being here this morning. We really um, enjoyed talking to you, even though, you know, some of it is just kind of frustrating because, you know, Florida. Um, but people like you hopefully make it more sane a place in the future. Thanks for listening to the Signal Boost podcast. We'll be back tomorrow with more news.